give it up for our drama ministry, Miss Barbara Nelson and her team. I tell you, we've already had a couple of sermons today, hadn't we? But you're about to get the cream of the crop now. Y'all thought I was talking about me, didn't you? I look pretty dressed up today. I know two or three of y'all walked in today and want to know who had died. Well, the bishop's in the house today. I had to, I had to kick it up a notch today. And uh, Bishop, we're so happy to have you with us today. Right before I introduce him to come and uh, speak to us, let me just mention a couple of things. Guys, Thanksgiving's coming up Thursday. Anybody excited about that? Uh, let me, if you're going to have some collard greens, let me hear amen. Amen, amen on that. And uh, so we're going to have some fun this week. Wednesday night services are canceled, and the reason we canceled is because I thought maybe some of y'all wouldn't get them collards done. So we just went ahead and canceled Wednesday night, and, and all my Yankees and people from out west are going, what's collards? I don't know what collards are. Uh, it's just a little piece of glory before you get to glory. Uh, so, so no Wednesday night, no Thursday night at the bridge, and no Saturday night here this week, okay? We want you to have some family time, and we want our volunteers who work so hard to just have some time to be with their family. So we're going to take a little break, but boy, we're going to be back next Sunday. We're going to be back next Sunday, and uh, we're going to uh, look at uh, your story, part three. Part three, I already did part three at the bridge Thursday, and part three, I did it last night, but I hadn't done it on Sunday morning, so we'll do that this coming Sunday morning, Okay? And so, guys, we're just uh, very excited for you being able to be with your families. Hey, don't forget, Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, we are having a uh, Thanksgiving uh, meal for our military families. And I, I just thank God for that. We love military families around this place. And uh, I, I got to tell you, last I heard, I, I don't know how many it is now, it's over 200 people who are coming to uh, just have the meal because they don't get to be with their family uh, during the holidays. And so we're very excited about uh, that. And those of you who are um, serving and who are taking time away from your family to serve our heroes, thank you for that so much. And uh, uh, one thing we do need, ladies, are some more desserts. We really want to make sure we pack it on while we got them here and uh, bring uh, uh, some extra drinks. We would appreciate that so much. Well, let me just tell you a little bit about this gentleman who's with us today. Um, first of all, I want to tell you he's one of the most down-to-earth people I've ever met, one of the most humble people I've ever met. He has, uh, and nobody has a right to be, but if anybody had a right to be uh, prideful uh, because of his accomplishments in his life, he could, he could be that way, but he's everything but that. Bishop uh, Dr. Ronald W. Carpenter Sr. is in the house today. He is the general superintendent of the International Pentecostal Holiness Church. He is a native of the great state of North Carolina. Amen. Amen. And uh, he hails from the city of Rocky Mount. And uh, he accepted God's call in the ministry when he was 16. And uh, after 16 years of serving as a senior pastor and 11 years as conference superintendent in the Upper South Carolina Conference, he was elected executive director of Evangelism USA. In August 2005, he was elected vice chairman of the IPHC. Uh, he served as executive director of Evangelism USA for 12 years, also served as chairman of the Board of Chaplains Ministries. Bishop Carpenter's greatest desire is to be of service to the kingdom of God. 
because of his willingness to serve uh, and, he's, and also because of his giftings as a teacher and preacher. Dr. Carpenter is in much demand for revivals and seminars and camp meetings, training, encouraging leaders, training leaders, and many, many other speaking engagements. Now, we have a little saying around here, behind every good man is a what? Better woman. That's exactly right. And his wife, Nan, is with us today. We're just so glad to have both of you. They have two children uh, and five grandchildren. Has that increased since this was printed? Two, two children, five grand. His son pastors a little church down in Greenville, South Carolina called Redemption World Outreach. 17,500 members. I knew him when he was none of that. He spent the night in my house. Little did I know I had a, a superstar man of God in my house when he was a young fellow at Emmanuel College. But uh, Bishop Carpenter, will you come? And Whitley Church, I want you to stand to your feet. And let's honor the man of God today. Amen. Well, give Jesus a hand. He's worthy. He's worthy. Yes, he is. Thank you so much for letting us come and just be a part of your worship today. Uh, I've been sincerely blessed. I like the gospel according to Lou. I don't know where he's at, but uh, that'll make you enjoy the Bible. And actually, you understand that the Bible uh, involved folk just like you. Nobody got up one day and said, we're going to write 1 Kings chapter 6 today, and here's the script. The Bible was a living laboratory and those folks had all the same problems that you had, the same dilemmas. Uh, we're told by James that Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. He's the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, one that called fire down from heaven, defeated 850 false prophets. And the epitome of the power of God in the Old Testament. And yet, James tells us he had all the same problems you got. And I take heart in that because if a man that had all the same weaknesses I got can have that kind of power working in his life, then it means a man like me with all the same weaknesses he had can have that same kind of power working in my life. So uh, I rejoice in the Gospel of Lou because it reminds us that the Bible is just full of real folk. See, everybody remembers that Noah went through the flood and built an ark, but very few people know he got drunk. You didn't know Noah got drunk. Lots of folk know that Abraham was a friend of God, but very few people know he lied twice. Uh, lots of folk know that Moses was the great emancipator, but he disobeyed God and wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. So weaknesses just like you. So I figure if they can have the same weaknesses I got, I can have the same power they had working in their life. Well, I want you to know this is not a mutual admiration society. But I just thank God for Farrell Hardison and his wife, Millie. 
he came by and picked us up yesterday and carried us over to see the bridge and we came here. I'd, I'd driven by in the past, but never been inside the facilities. Never actually been on the campus. And he was describing the buildings and then he went to the new construction site and said, this is gonna be this and this is gonna be this. This is gonna look this way. And I'm standing there thinking, yeah. And everything else here used to be like that. You understand, nothing ever happens in church or out of church until somebody sees it first. Somebody's got to see it, and then it becomes reality. And God sent you a visionary who can see it before it happens. And that's why it happens. Uh, you're sitting in a vision right now. A few months down the road, you're going to be sitting in another vision. And I appreciate vision when I see it. And you don't have to be around long to tell whether somebody's got it or not. Whenever I'm around folk and all they talk about is what happened yesterday, I can tell right quick they have no idea what's going on tomorrow. Uh, they've already had their renaissance, they've had their golden hour, and now they're just reveling in the past. And I thank God for the past. We learn from the past, benefit from the past, but you can't camp out in the past. We have to celebrate yesterday, but we have to seize tomorrow. And I just appreciate Pharaoh. I think... Uh, the greatest gift God can give any organization, whether it's an organization of 200, 2,000, or 2 million, is good leadership. Because somewhere in this building, there's a thermostat on the wall. And when you set that thermostat at 80, it's going to keep the temperature in this building from rising above 80. And a leader is like a thermostat on the wall. The temperature in the building will never rise above the level of the leader. And if you've got a leader who pulls you to a high level and empowering you and becoming everything that you have the potential to be, you are highly, highly blessed of the Lord. And I've been around Farrell and Millie enough here and elsewhere to know they want you to become everything that you can be. They don't want you to make them everything they can be. They want to make you everything that you have the potential to become in Christ. So I think we ought to give God a hand for the pastor and his wife. Let's thank the Lord for it. And I noticed another great thing about him yesterday, and, and it is a characteristic of greatness Every time I start talking to him about his vision and what I consider to be his ability, he immediately defers and says, man, I got a great staff. You just wait till you meet my staff. God's given me some really creative people. I'm surrounded by outstanding people. So I want you to know, whoever these staff members are, uh, that you are held in the very highest of esteem by the person that you hold in high esteem. And he considers you the team. 
So uh, that's another mark of a really great leader. Well, I want to share a word with you. It's found in Psalm 139. It is a joy to have my wife. She's my childhood sweetheart. We met when we were 14 years old. I fell in love with her first time I ever saw her. Didn't know who, I really fell in love with the shoulder length uh, blonde hair that she had just a little below her shoulders. Before I ever saw her face, I just liked the way her hair looked when she <laughs> turned around. I said, with hair like that has got to be pretty. But um, before God, first time I ever saw her, I leaned over and told the guy, that's the girl I'm going to marry right there. I just saw her walk into church one time. I wasn't even saved and had a spirit of prophecy on me like Saul in the Old Testament. <laughs> and uh, it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. And we dated for a couple of years, and I gave her a diamond when we were 16, and I know that's a scary thought. And usually when I say that, all the mothers race over and stick their fingers in their daughter's ears so they can't hear but it worked for us, engaged as juniors in high school. And I graduated on Friday. She graduated next Tuesday. We got married the next Saturday. We just slipped under the wire because I'd been reading the Bible, and I read where the Apostle Paul said it's better to marry than to burn. <laughs> hey, I read the Bible literally when I read it. And I was burning, and I wanted to get married. <laughs> so uh, we, we didn't put no insulated time in there. We just put the fire out as quick as we could. Yeah, I know. I, I can tell they really hit a nerve there with the burning thing. Going to be several wedding dates that moved up as of this service this morning. Uh, 45 years ago, this past June, it's been a wonderful life. She's been a wonderful wife and continues to be. Psalm 139. There's a great word about our intimacy with God and how well he knows you and I. Let me uh, just try to say it quickly. I understand we have two services and I appreciate that fact. You're a great looking congregation. Uh, the only problem with two services anywhere is the first one always works with time constraints. And so I'm gonna work with time constraints and I'm gonna do fast forward and talk really fast. And if you'll listen fast and I talk fast, we'll both quit at the same time just before 10.30. Psalm 139, verse 13, David is talking. And he's speaking under the anointing. He's talking to God. This is a time of self-meditation, and he's actually talking to the Lord, not about the Lord. And he's obviously under the anointing because he's talking about things they didn't know about 3,000 years ago. So it had to come from an anointed spirit. And he says in verse 13, speaking to God, for thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. 
Now that's deep, but it's going to get deeper. He says to God, you possessed me in my mother's womb. You covered me and possessed my reins. The word reins here, though it's spelled the same way, it actually has nothing to do with a horse and buggy and a piece of leather. It's, uh, it's an old um, archaic translation of a Hebrew word for kidneys. The Hebrews had a spiritual application for every part of the physical anatomy that they were aware of. And the kidneys represented that part of a person that was deep down on the inside, that part that was really hard to get to. So what the psalmist is saying is, Lord, you have possessed me deep down on the inside. You've been in control of my life deep down on the inside in that part that nobody else can get to. In fact, you even covered me in my developmental period in my mother's womb. Then he says, verse 14, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Just hold on to that one right there. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Marvelous are thy works. Most of the time, if you hear anybody quote that verse, they will immediately begin to talk about the majesty of the mountains, uh, the magnanimity of the ocean, uh, the beauty of the flowing fields, they talk about the beauty of creation. Psalmist didn't talk about any of that. He said, marvelous are thy works. He's talking about himself. He just got through saying that you have covered me in my development. And then he says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And he said, man, I'm marvelous. He didn't have no problem with self-esteem. Because he understood that he was the handiwork of God. He's looking at himself and saying, my Lord, you did a marvelous thing. When you produced me, marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Then he says in verse 15, my substance, my being, my existence was not hid from thee when I was made in secret. And he's talking about in the gestation period. When I was in the fetal period, in secret, anything that the Hebrews couldn't see, they called it the world of the unseen or secret. And so the developmental period, the pregnancy period, you couldn't see the baby. That was the world of the unseen to them. You saw my being when I was not hid from thee, but I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. And, and that's a colloquial phrase they use for the world of the unseen, the lowest parts of the earth, a place where you can't see what's going on. And he's saying, you saw me being developed in my mother's womb when nobody else could see me. 
Thine eyes did see my substance, my being. Yet being unperfect, you saw me before I was fully developed. And in thy book, all my members were written. You identified every member of my body in your book, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. Now that sounds like a lot of double talk, but what he's actually saying is, you saw every member of my body before it was actually formed. You saw it in a final condition before it was formed, which means before you ever had a finger to print, God already had your fingerprint recorded in his book. Before you had a retina formed to scan, God had already scanned your retina and put it in his book. You recorded all my members in your book when as yet there was none of them. Then he says, verse 17, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great is the sum of them. So the next time you tend to be a little hard on yourself, I just want you to remember that you really something. You really are the man in the positive sense. You the man. You the woman. God said you were. He said you are fearfully and wonderfully made. See, I don't know most of you, but I can look at you without any fear of equivocation and say that you're wonderful people. Thank God there's more of you than I thought there was. <laughs> I don't know if this makes it hard for the video guy, but I have to preach on the floor. I can't preach on the platform. You're wonderful people. Your response to me initially would be, no, you don't know me. If you really knew me, you wouldn't think I was wonderful. If you really knew where I came from, you wouldn't think I was wonderful. If you really knew my family and the dysfunction that I have grown up in, you wouldn't think I was wonderful. If you really knew what I have done to other people, you wouldn't think I was wonderful. And if you really knew what other people have done to me, you wouldn't think I was wonderful. And in my effort to be kind to you and sensitive, I would say none of that really matters. It only matters to you, and it matters to the devil as long as you let him use all of those things to constantly try to destroy your concept of any self-worth. You see, you are wonderful in spite of all of that. Because none of those things define who you are. You're not defined by what's happened to you. You're not defined by what you've done. 
you're not even what you think you are. You are what God declares you to be. The God who knew you in your mother's womb. In fact, you could become even more profound and go to Ephesians 1 where the Apostle Paul declares that we were chosen in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. God knew you before you were in your mother's womb. There was a time in eternity past when there was nothing but God and he looked inside of himself and he had a thought and he named it Joe and he had another thought and he named it Mary and he had another thought and he named it Sue and God fell in love with his own thoughts and he deposited in that thought of Mary all the DNA characteristics that she has. He determined that she would have blonde hair and hazel eyes. He determined that she would be five foot nine and a half. He determined that she would have a high metabolism rate, not have any problem with weight. God determined all of that in that concept that he saw in himself of Mary. But not only did he determine those DNA characteristics, God understood what it took for you to be everything he wanted you to be in the spirit world, and he deposited into your life every anointing, every gift, every enablement that you will ever have to draw on to be what he has ordained you to be. It's all there. It just needs to be activated by the power of the Spirit. God knew you and you were before you were. He's known you since you were nothing but a thought within his eternal spirit. And he birthed you through your mother's womb. And you're not here today by accident. I want you to understand that. You are a creature of value. You are a creature of worth. No matter what your circumstances have been, you are a marvelous person. You're marvelous because you're absolutely unique. In all the vastness of the universe, a universe that can only be discussed in terms of light years, you can't see the periphery of it with light waves. You can't hear it with sound waves. The only way we can make any sense out of the magnitude of the universe is just to describe it in light years. And that's light traveling 186,000 miles a second for 12 months. That's a long way. It works out about 6 trillion linear miles. You and I live in a galaxy called the Milky Way. 200,000 light years from one side to the other. We can't even get out of our own galaxy, much less get in somebody else's. The nearest star to us is 97 million miles away. We call it the sun. It's the reason we're alive. But once you get past the sun, do you understand the nearest star to you is Alpha Centauri, which is 4.3 light years away, which works out to 26 trillion miles 
And if you could travel 186,000 miles a second, which you can't, it would take you four years and four months to get there, going 186,000 miles a second. That's the closest star to us. And there's so much space between all of the matter. Two galaxies could actually move right between one another. Nothing would ever collide. And in a universe so vast, there's not another you anywhere. God made you and determined you to be one of a kind. So if you were hanging in an art gallery somewhere, we'd call you a masterpiece. You're not a copy of anything. Quit trying to be. You are an original. And you have everything it takes to be who you were ordained to be. You see, a masterpiece is determined because it is an original. You can have thousands of copies, but only one original. And somewhere in the original, the artist always signs his autograph. Either actually with his name in the corner of the painting. Or he has his design, his special sign, like Thomas Kincaid who paints his wife's initials in all of his pictures. That marks it as a, a work of the artist. And somewhere deep down inside of you, no matter what type of direction your life has taken, and how many layers of confusion and distress and turmoil you have experienced when you peel all of that back somewhere deep down inside of you the artist who created you has stamped his eternal signature inside of you and said in spite of the misery of your life you are my handiwork you're marvelous. I made you. Ezekiel cried out. The heart of God when he said all souls are mine. Saith the Lord. Now not all souls are redeemed. But all souls belong to God. Because he's the one who gives them. And he has implanted his signature inside of you. That's why people search so many ways. Through drugs, through alcohol, through pornography, sex, whatever it may be. is because they are trying to find the signature. They're trying to find what makes them real, what makes life meaningful. And it's the mark of the one who created you deep down on the inside that you're really searching for. And one day, if you keep looking, you're going to find it. And see, you're marvelous because you're the greatest thing God ever made. And that's quite a statement if you understand everything God ever made. Because one day he stepped out on the edge of nothing and looked into the abyss of blackness. God said, I don't like it like that. Let there be light. 
have told me to do that at 1017. <laughs> that was light. And he sprinkled all the stars like shimmering diamonds on a blackboard of carbon. Struck a match and he ignited the furnace of the sun. Polished the disk of the moon. Heaped mountain peaks up above the clouds. Scooped out ocean beds with the palm of his hand. Traced out the course of rivers with his index finger. Filled the air with fowl. Fill the seas with fishes and fill the land with four-footed beasts and creeping things. And on the sixth day, after all of that, God said, now we're going to do something different. I ain't making no more dogs today. I ain't making no more cows today, no more fish, no more birds Today, we're going to do something different. We're going to make a new species of creation today. And God knelt down, took 175 pounds of dirt, and he formed a carcass out of it. It wasn't alive, it just looked really good. But then he knelt over it and he kissed it like a mother would kneel over a suckling child, kiss it on the cheek. And when the God of creation got on his knees and kissed the dirt, something miraculous happened. It was some kind of spiritual CPR. And God just, he exhaled himself into the dirt. He blew himself into the dirt and the dirt became a living soul and opened his eyes and God called him Adam. Because the word Adam means the dirt man, the man from clay. See, you're a walking miracle, friend. The devil doesn't want you to understand that you are wonderful. He doesn't want you to know that you're the greatest thing God ever made. Because he wants you to live your life under a cloud of condemnation. Because the devil understands more so than you that condemnation and joy cannot coexist in the same heart. And as long as he can keep you focused on the failures of your past, as long as he can keep you from realizing just how wonderful and miraculous you really are. He can keep the joy of the Lord from dwelling in you because he can fill you with thoughts of condemnation and failure. 
do you understand that God gave you a heart that pumps 10,000 times a day? 10,000 times a day. You can't build a pump out of anything. You can't build a pump out of titanium that'll pump 10,000 times a day and work for 90 years. God gave you a pump that'll pump 10,000 times a day, and if you lay off the fat back, it'll work really good <laughs> for 90 years. I mean, you know, we're 90 years old, and the thing's been doing 10,000 times a day, and we get mad because it wants to quit. He gave you an eye that has more pixel power in it than any digital camera you could possibly buy. He gave you a thumb. You're the only species that actually has a thumb. Others have fingers, figures, but not a thumb that functions the way yours does. Don't look like much, but life would be really difficult without it. Can you imagine eating soup? with a spoon between two fingers. That'd be a real challenge. Or writing without a thumb. Pencil between two fingers. <laughs> you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You got 100,000 miles of plumbing inside of you. Veins and arteries. 100,000 miles. That's enough to wrap around the circumference of the globe four times. The average six-foot man, 100 thousand miles of veins and arteries and the amazing thing is you get up every morning and everything just goes in the right direction have you ever tried to lay a piece of pipe 40 foot long uh, it ain't going to stay there and work for the next 50 years I can tell you that and yet you got a hundred thousand miles of pipe in you and it'll work well for 70, 80, 90 years. And every morning you get up and everything just flows in the right direction. You don't have to get up and say, oh, i got to make this stuff work today. You're a walking miracle and don't realize it. See, not only the tangible part of you, but the intangible part of you is even more miraculous. God gave you a mind to, to rationalize. You're the only creature on planet Earth that can process information. You can take chaotic facts and analyze them, categorize them, systematize them, and then organize them so that you can make conclusions based on those facts. No other species can do that. And then God has given you a will to make choices based on your conclusions. Now, you can't see a will. You can't pull it out and weigh it on a scale. But you got one. You're the only creature has one. So I don't care how smart your dog is. He can't analyze information. All he knows is you give him a dog biscuit when he runs and sits. Animals don't process information. They act off of instinct. You and I have the ability to process information. So why do birds fly south in the wintertime? Do you know if you could speak bird language and you ask a bird why he was flying south for the winter, you know what he'd say? 
I ain't got no idea why I'm doing this. It just seemed like the right thing to do. They don't have no bird convention and take a vote. Everybody in favor of flying south, raise your right wing. It just seems like the right thing to do. You and I have a choice. I can decide if I want to go to New York or Florida. I can go north. I can go south. I can go cold. I can go hot. I can make a decision. I can stay home. Because I have the ability to process information, draw conclusions, make choices, and then I have a conscience that guides me if I listen to it, and it, it condemns me when I do wrong, and it compliments me when I do right. I have emotions that enable me to get joy from my good choices and bring sorrow when I have bad choices. God gave me all of that intangible ability, and then he deposited in me the... I have a spirit that enables me to communicate with the God that made me. No other species on earth. You're the only one. The homo sapiensis erectus. Just you. You're the one that God blew himself into. And it's that spirit that enables you to understand forgiveness of sins, to understand what it means to have a right relationship with the gods you came from. Your spirit enables you to do that. Your spirit enables you to get deep down inside of God and it enables God to get deep down inside of you. And if you'll understand what I'm saying, it gives you the ability to have some type of spiritual intercourse with God and you're the only creature on planet earth that can do that. And if you don't shout about it, I'm gonna shout about it. Excuse me. You are not here nor here by accident. See, I, I don't know how you got here. Some people can't get over the pipeline that got them here to get on with what it is they're supposed to do since they're here. I don't know what kind of pipeline brought you here. I don't know if you got here loved or unloved. Kids get here both ways every day. I don't know if you got here wanted or unwanted. They get here both ways every day. I don't know if you were planned or unplanned. They get here both ways every day. My son, 17,500 folks, he wasn't planned. I want you to know that. I was in second year Bible school. You don't plan nothing, but how are we going to eat tomorrow? Uh, we didn't plan to have him. Doctors just told my wife she couldn't have any children. That's called famous last words. Don't ever believe that. Don't ever believe that when they tell you that. And they thought he was a kidney infection, tried to kill him with antibiotics for three months before we found out there was a baby in there. See, we didn't have him planned, but God had a plan. That's what counts. God had a plan for the boy and brought him on his timetable, not our timetable. So I don't know if you were planned or unplanned. The fact is, it don't really matter how you got here, you're here. And the fact that you're here means that God has a plan for your life because God don't make no junk. You are somebody. You, you are not just some biological attachment that happened to place itself up against your mother's uterus and clench on. 
You're not a biological mass. You're not an accident. You're not your mother's missed birth control pill. You're not a lot of stuff. You, you are not the product of some cold, mindless, mechanistic, evolutionary system that brought you out of the primordial quagmire from a tadpole to a frog to a monkey to a man. My God, that ain't who I am. I'm not going to let them stamp that on me. I am somebody. God spoke to Jeremiah and he said, Jeremiah, I want you to be a prophet. Jeremiah said, I don't want to be one. He said, I know all these folk. I grew up with these folk. They don't even like me. And God said, Jeremiah, you don't understand. While you were yet in your mother's belly, I knew you. And before you came out of your mother's womb, I sanctified you and called you to be a prophet. He said, we're not negotiating here. I just want you to understand that. This is not a question and answer. I'm telling you, you are a prophet. You've been a prophet all the time. I just let you in on the call about a minute ago. And God could say the same thing to everybody sitting in this church. When you were born, you came here with a track. God laid out a track for your life before you came forth from your mother's womb. And he laid out your track the way they do a movie in Hollywood. So they don't make a movie in Hollywood the way you see it. When they make a movie, they make the last scene first. In fact, they make several last scenes. That's why when you rent the DVD, they can give you three different endings. If you don't like one, just flip over to ending number two. They done ended that thing three different ways. But then it's the job of the executive producer to go back to the beginning and they start making scene one. And he picks up the feel of that movie. Just like preachers walk into a sanctuary and say, I got I to get the vibes here. What's happening in this place? And that executive producer picks up the feel and the spirit of that movie and then he starts channeling it toward one of those ends that they've already made. And God brought you here according to Jeremiah 29, 11. He has an expected end in sight for your life. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to bring you to an expected end. God's already mapped this thing out for you, scene one to the last scene. See, you don't have to develop a track for your life. You just have to discover the one that's already been developed for you. And God don't get up every day and lay track for you. He gets up every day and works on you to keep you on the track he's already laid. Because God knows if you will run on the track he's laid for your life, 
you'll wind up exactly where he wants you to wind up. An expected end. I'm here today to challenge you. It's like those old cable cars. You don't have to worry about where the thing's going. Uh, cable cars are not made to run in cornfields. All you got to do is be sure you get on the right car. And if you get on the right car, it's going to go to the right place because the track is already laid for it to run on. And God has laid track for your life. All you got to do is be sure that you're working in sync with the Spirit of God to get you from where you are to where God wants you to be. Stand with me, will you? How many of you have a, a genuine desire? A genuine desire to get to where God wants you to be in life. Do you really want that? So evidently, Pastor Farrell's done a good job of impressing on you the importance of the fact if you really want to be happy, if you really want to be successful, there's only one real track for your life. And that's the one that Jesus laid out for you before you got here. Paul said, I was separated unto the gospel from my mother's womb. He didn't know it most of his early life. In fact, he fought it until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and then he found his purpose. I want to pray for you today. I don't want you to miss your purpose. There's some decisions you can make in life. If you make it wrong, you just kind of tidy it up and go on. There are other decisions you make in life that chart a course for you that determine your destiny. I don't want you to miss your destiny. I want you to fulfill your purpose and run on your track. And that starts with knowing Jesus and knowing him right. I want to lead us all in the sinner's prayer today. And if you don't know Jesus, when we finish praying, you're going to be saved. And I want you to get to somebody that's standing at the door when you leave and say, I prayed with the preacher this morning. Would you tell me what I need to do next? They'll put you in touch with somebody that'll help lead you in the next step. Father, pray with me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for proving it. When you gave your son to die on Calvary. I'll never doubt your love. I need a savior. So I confess my sin. Forgive me today. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean. 
Give me the joy that can come only from you. I confess my sin and I repent. And with your help, by your grace, I'll live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I speak it today over this congregation. It shall be so. Even as we have prayed for your promises, if any man would call on the name of the Lord, he shall be saved. And if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have called on the name of the Lord today. We have confessed our sin. And now we believe that you do what you said you would do and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Launch everyone on the road to destiny as of this moment. We believe you for it. We speak it over their life in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Now I want you to turn around and look at two people right in the eye.